Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. We're coming to you live on this Tuesday afternoon, Holy Tuesday in Holy Week 2019. Uh, I am your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church. Today we're going to be talking about the Mass and uh, Luther's take on the Roman Catholic practice of that. Uh, you can participate in our program today. We have a toll-free number, not all across North America, but at least in the United States of America, I'm told. And that number is 800-730-2727. Again, all across the USA, 800-730-2727. Locally here in St. Louis, the local number is area code 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also send us your comments and questions uh, to our email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. In the studio with me today, running the boards, is our friend Ian, and then uh, our panelists here today who will answer all of our questions are uh, Pastor Mark Sell and Pastor Steve Reardon. Mark Sell from Our Savior in Fenton, and uh, Steve Reardon from St. Paul in Wildwood. Welcome, gentlemen. Good to be here. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking your time out of this very busy week for us pastors to be on this program. But uh, uh, let's first of all tell people uh, uh, where people can find out more about your congregation and your special services coming up Thursday, Friday, Sunday. Pastor Mark Sell of Our Savior Fenton. Yes, um, <clears throat> our Savior, we're located in Fenton on 141 and 30, down in that area. So if you're in the area, stop by for one of our many services this week. Maundy Thursday, we have a 2.30 and 7 o'clock service. And then Good Friday, 7 p.m. And then Sunday, we will have a 6 a.m., 8 and 10.30. Very good. And what's yeah. the website for Our Savior in Fenton? OurSaviorLCS.org. The Our LCS Savior. stands for Lutheran, Lutheran Church, Church and School. School. Right. Yeah. Uh, Our Savior. LCS.org. Yes. Dot org. Yep. Very good. Very good. Yep. And we've got a uh, school that goes from two-year-olds all the way through eighth grade. And people can inquire and even register for Absolutely. the fall. Absolutely. We've got some openings left in the uh, two-year-old, in one of the two-year-old classes. We've got a couple two-year-old classes. So there's still some room in the two-year-old class, and I think there are three spots left in three-year-old class. Very good. It's yeah, a, it's they, a, they fill up quickly. It's so. a booming congregation in school. Yeah, we're very thankful for, we have a great faculty, great principal, and they're, they're what makes that part of the engine run. And also doing quite well is... Uh, St. Paul Lutheran Church in Wildwood. Pastor uh, Steve Reardon, tell us about your special services this week. 
Well, uh, our, we are going to run pretty much the same sort of thing that uh, Pastor Sal just talked about. We have Monday, Thursday coming up with services at 7 p.m. Uh, Good Friday is a tenebrae service for us or a service of darkness, um, and that will be on Friday evening. And that, if you haven't done one, is um, a liturgical service of extinguishing the candles and the sanctuary becoming darker and darker, you know, as the service goes along. Uh, and what then, time will that be? That'll be at 7 Okay. Uh, and then Sunday morning, on um, the resurrection of our Lord, we will have a sunrise service at 6.30 and then a later service at 9. Very good. Um, and what's your church's website? Uh, the website is stpaulslutheran-wildwood.com. You know, all right. It has all the service information on there. Good. And if anyone's a little bit south of St. Louis, if you want to come down to St. Matthew in Bonterre, our website is stmatthewbt.org. We will have services on both Holy Thursday and Good Friday at 6 p.m., not 7, but 6 p.m. And then on Easter Day, the Resurrection of Our Lord, our great festival service at 9 a.m. So this is the, the, the premier week of the year in the Christian Church. Uh, so we encourage all of you to take advantage of this opportunity where we're focused on the heart of the Christian faith, the suffering, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that is really what Luther is emphasizing in, and I'm making the segue into our topic nice for today. Nice transition there, Charles. <laughs> nice. Into the Small Called Articles, uh, one of our confessional documents in the Lutheran Confessions, the Book of Concord, uh, that we're reading our way through on this program. And uh, we're using a, the edition called Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord. Now, for many months, we were going through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Now, just in the last couple of weeks, we moved into the next confessional document of the Lutheran Church called the Schmalkald, or to say it more, Auf Deutsch, Schmalkald uh, Articles. Uh, and today we're going to look at uh, the Schmalkald Articles, Part 2, the Article 2 on the Mass. But uh, if you have the uh, Reader's Edition, I'm looking at page 253, uh, the title page for the Schmall Called Articles. I'm looking at the second printing of the Reader's Edition. Uh, let's just start to get our bearings here. Uh, with this title page, it says, The Schmall Called Articles, Articles of Christian Doctrine that we would have presented to the Council if one had been convened at Mantua or elsewhere, pointing out what we could give up and what we could not. Written by Dr. Martin Luther in the year 1537. So I think just those phrases there will lead us into the uh, article that we're going to get into today. This word small called, does it mean like like small in size or what is schmell called? What is that term about? Any, either one of you. It's a city. It's a city. Where? <laughs> in Germany. In Germany. Yeah. Why are they called the Schmalkald Articles? Well, because Luther was going to present them. He was tasked with putting together the confession, you know, that, that we call the Schmalkald small small Articles. Say that three times fast. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then he was to present it before a, a supposed council at Mantua that the Pope was going to be convening. Um, and he was to present it to the other Lutheran churches or, or, or leaders of the Lutheran churches um, to uh, get their okay on it. You yeah, know, that, that they would present. Well, why why does it have why this city Schmalkald? What was what was going on there? Uh, who was getting together uh, 
to who commissioned Luther to to put together these articles and why? Well, it was either Thrivent or LCEF. <laughs> no? Okay. no? No, I don't sorry, think okay. so. It, well, it, was, it was Frederick, you know, um, who was the elector. John Frederick, I yeah. think. Yeah. Related he, to Frederick the Wise back uh, at Luther's it, uh, earlier time, yeah. Yeah, and he, um, and, and he was the one who commissioned Luther to do it, you know, and called for this gathering. Now, there was this league called the Schmalkaldic League. Uh, any, anyone have any information on that? Uh, that's why they were meeting in Schmalkald, these princes. Um, what, would, what did they have in common? Well, they, 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 the, the faith. Okay. The, the, the Lutheran faith. So really, this was the, it's kind of like unto the Augsburg Confession, where these princes and uh, rulers of territories and cities uh, got together to present their confession of faith to the Emperor Charles V. This is the same sort of a thing. But it was also like a mutual defense league or pact. What, what was the need for that? You know, kind of like NATO or something. Well, when, when, the, when the Pope had, well, Luther had actually wanted kind of an open council. He, he wanted to have the opportunity to have conversation about what Lutherans believed, you know, and, and have that with, with, the Roman, or with Roman Catholicism. Um, and so he was always calling for one. And when the Pope finally did it in like 1536, um, I can't remember which Pope it was at the time, you know, but he, uh, he said he was going to have this council. And so this was the preparation for that. Um, and it was so that they could present a united defense, basically, of what they believed. And at that time, you know, church and state were used to those things being separated, but they weren't in right. Europe. And so there was military threat from uh, the Holy Roman Empire against these Lutheran territories. Right. And so the princes allied for mutual protection and defense if that would be necessary. Right. So uh, uh, Luther's elector, John Frederick, said, Martin, please put together uh, a summary of our faith that we can present to all these princes gathered at Schmalkald uh, in the year 1537 uh, so we can all sign on to this. We're united in our faith and we're united for our mutual defense. Um, now, you mentioned about this potential council. Luther wanted a council to have a free and open discussion of all these issues that have been going on now 20 years since the uh, uh, 95 Theses, uh, but a free and open council, a fair one, that's not what they were going to get. Uh, in fact, in 1536, I saw this in the introduction in the Reader's Edition, the Pope at the time wrote in 1536 that his purpose for a council, and this is a juicy quote, you can find it on page 255, the Pope's purpose would be, quote, the utter extirpation of the poisonous pestilential Lutheran heresy. Uh, Pastor Sell, does that sound like it's going to be a fair deal? Um, well, it could be. Um, <laughs> no, it was a setup. It was a setup, and there yeah. never would be a fair and free right. council. Uh, you know, and I, I think when you look at the politics of it, the political nature of it, uh, you know, the civil side of it, uh, I mean, frankly, he's being a good ruler to set it up, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if, if you think you want it to go one way, well, that's how you set the convention up. Yeah, it was a you know? it would have been a stacked deck. So right. the Lutherans didn't participate. The Pope didn't call one at Mantua in 1537. They were prepared for one, 
but uh, the Lutherans were, but it didn't happen. And then when the Rome finally got around to calling a council, uh, uh, Pastor Reardon, when was that? That became the Council of Trent, and as we know anyway, you know, the Council of Trent ends up doing exactly this, which is condemning, you know, what we believe is Lutherans. Yeah, that started in 1545, the year before Luther's death. And also, speaking of Luther's death, in his preface, he writes, uh, what was his condition at the time, 1536, 1537? What was he thinking might be the case? Before? Well, when John Frederick came to him and asked him to do it, um, it, it, that was like on December 1st, I think of 1536 or so. And when he asked him to do it, it, it Luther, like two weeks later, they believe had a heart attack. Mm, I know he was very sick. You know, and so Luther was thinking that, okay, this could be it. And so to a great extent, what you end up seeing with the small call articles is that they are kind of Luther's last will and testament. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so there could be Luther saying, don't let anybody fool you later on. This is what I'm still believing and standing by. Don't let anyone uh, fool you. So that's kind of the background then for the uh, small called articles. And uh, Luther says as much in his preface, which was covered in this program a couple weeks ago. And then uh, he has a couple opening articles before we get into today's new material. But like the first part he calls the awe-inspiring articles on the divine majesty. Uh, Pastor Sell, what is that about? And why um, is it so short? I, I don't know. <laughs> Pastor Reardon. <laughs> well, I, I, it, you know, in a way, you know, when you read through the small call articles, it's so polemical, you know, and Luther just kind of goes right at it, yeah. you know, and attacking some of the, what he believes are the heresies of the Roman Catholic Church, you know, and in a sense, he throws them a bone with this first one, like, okay, we agree on this. We believe Which in the Trinity. The Trinity. We, right. Yeah. We can't argue. We're not going to argue with you about this. Jesus is are, both true God and true man. Right. Right. So yeah. that's, that's, there's no argument about that. Right. Right. Now, so, so we in the Roman Church agree that. Jesus suffered and died and rose again. The problem is then, what do we make out of that? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so then that gets into the second article, second part of the Schmalkald articles, the chief article. Uh, what does Luther regard as, why does he call it, the, what is this chief article that Luther says we're not going to give any ground on? What's the chief article of the Christian faith? Justification. Justification. <clears throat> Explain what your... The... Um... It, it justification is often we would say it's the the teaching or the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls um, because justification is how can you be holy how you, how could you stand before God and be just and understand that God will accept you and you you're going to do it one of two ways either you you are going to look at your own life and try to convince God you deserve to be here be in his presence to be you know, I've worked my own justice out. Or when you realize the law and how vicious the law is, you come to realize you're not going to have any role in this whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And that justification can only happen if Jesus does it all for you. If Jesus lives out the 
Ten Commandments for you, if Jesus lives your whole life for you, if Jesus then goes to the cross and then takes on all your sin and is punished for you, and it goes through the wrath of God for you, uh, dies for you, and rises for you. And so um, the Lutheran emphasis on justification always becomes this understanding that it's always Jesus doing the work that Jesus has done. Yeah. And, and, and that's, the, that's the key there. And it is received by faith, okay? Um, because that that ends up being the big point of contention with Roman Catholicism, because there is still the idea that you are justified by works, you know, and and so that's why Luther is like, you know, this this is it, this is the key doc, doctrine, and how you interpret it is going to have an impact on everything else you do. Right, and Luther in this brief second part says. Uh, the first and chief article is this. Jesus Christ, our God and Lord, died for our sins, raised again for our justification. Uh, all have sinned and are justified freely without their own works or merits by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus in his blood. This is necessary to believe. This cannot be otherwise acquired or grasped by any work, law, or merit. Nothing of this article can be yielded or surrendered, even though heaven and earth and everything else falls. Upon this article, everything that we teach and practice depends in opposition to the Pope, the devil, and the whole world. I think I, I always try to make it a point to kind of go over sin, original sin, too, because that is uh, the, the lack of understanding of original sin is what causes, ends up causing the trouble in justification. And so whether or not any part of what you can do can be good in God's eyes. Yeah. And if you understand sin correctly, then you understand your best thing you could do still sends you to hell. Yeah. Uh, the, the best the, the best thought you could have, no matter how nice you want to be to someone, that still sends you to hell. Yeah. Um, because that's what sin does. Right. So, so it's the connection. It, it, it kind of it ties in with a proper understanding of the law, the second use of the law, along with that, that helps us understand just how thorough Jesus had to be. Right. And at in the thought, time, word indeed. In, t- in that time, uh, the Roman church taught to the one who does that which is within him, God does not deny grace. In other words, you can do something, you have some natural ability to do something that will at least get you on the path uh, to getting right with God. He'll reward you for your good efforts. Yeah, and, and most what ends up happening with it is, and this is still the theology of Roman Catholicism today. Is and you come out of a Roman Catholic I do, background. yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, Jesus died for you, and, we, and the Roman Church acknowledges that, that he died for you, but it's kind of like Jesus... And his death puts you on the road to salvation, but you got to walk the rest of the way yourself. Yeah, yeah. And they'll say, you know, you need the church to give you shots of grace. Right. And maybe if you really work hard or get the merits of the saints or have Mary pray for you or something, um, maybe you can be saved eventually. Or if you have to spend some time in purgatory, will reduce your well, so be it, time you know, out just to get your weight. If you get to heaven, why, what's what's wrong with a few years in purgatory? Yeah, a few well, million years. Years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, right. Exactly. So Luther okay. gets on to the purgatory thing, too. But now we come to the biggest problem, the uh, the iceberg that the Roman Titanic was had struck, <laughs> and why Luther thinks it's a sinking ship. Uh, you're just rearranging uh, chairs on the deck. And that is Article 2 of the second part called the Mass. And this is where he sees 
all the issues focused in a major practice of the Roman Church. And so now we come to the new material here, uh, Article 2 of the second part, called the Mass. And uh, uh, Pastor Sell, what this term, the Mass, what does that term mean? Well, in, in, in the Mass, it becomes a way uh, to cut to the center of the Mass where they are bringing Jesus back down and sacrificing him again. In what context? What it, and, and start with the basic of what is the mass? Oh, the, the mass is the sacrificing of Jesus to go get more forgiveness okay. in the Roman Catholic Church, and then you can participate in the mass and get some of that forgiveness for yourself. Okay, so Kinda, it's, you know, and, who's doing the sacrifice then? Uh, the priest is sacrificing Jesus. Okay, that's the Roman understanding. Correct, correct. Now, Pastor Reardon, can there be a, a sort of a neutral use of this term, the mass? What would we call it? Well, I mean, the, the, the word mass itself is just Latin, and it means like sent or dismissal. From this, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's, there was a, there's a part of the, the Roman Catholic liturgy in the end in Latin that says, I, I can't think of what the phrase is, you know, but... Missa est, it, it is, a, you know, you're it, dismissed. You're dismissed, you know, and so... There, it, there are different theories about the origin of the term, but right. the point is, what would we call the comparable thing? Well, we would call a, a divine service. Of word and sacrament. Right, exactly. Particularly the sacrament part of it. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So that's what Luther is uh, saying is the foremost abuse and error uh, in the Roman Church that conflicts with the chief article of justification. And, and what and what it does is it 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 buys in it buys into that whole notion that there is still something you in the pew can do so that you can be worthy to come and get more forgiveness. The priest is doing his work um, by bringing Jesus back down and uh, and the bread turning into the body, the uh, wine turning into the blood. Now we just have Jesus here, you know, nothing else. But the, the priest and, is doing the work of sacrificing, re-sacrificing Jesus, and the right. people, how do they get in on this? And, and they end up, they end up, it becomes one of the things that you do in order to get, get more of the forgiveness. So going to church, if you will, going to the Mass, celebrating the Lord's Supper and participating in it becomes part of your good deed. Fulfilling your obligation. Your obligation to Jesus by being there. And, and you have to do it at it. least once a year. Exactly. And, and so you see the, the abuse of it comes in is that it, it all of a sudden it turns from a pure gift of God and gospel to once again another work that the person in the pew has to do to participate in in order to get some more forgiveness. And it's still not total and complete at that. Yeah. And it's Pastor, total Reardon, forgiveness Pastor Reardon, as I understand uh, from the Roman Catholic uh, history, you know, at, at medieval times it was the work of the priest... And then maybe since Vatican II in the 1960s, it's become more the work of the people, but still the problem is what? Well, the, the big problem with Mass is what Pastor Sal said in the very beginning, which is that you it is referred to as the re-sacrifice of Christ. You know, and it takes what he did, getting back to the first doctrine, you know, the first you know, and chief article that, that Luther talks about, justification. You know, um, we are either justified by faith, you know, or we are justified by works, you know. And if you are re-sacrificing Christ with every Mass, you are saying that what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago was not sufficient in order mm -hmm. to pay for all the sins of the world. And you have no certainty in that sort of doctrine. Yeah, it's it's like an inventory of forgiveness. Uh, you know, when your inventory runs low, you got to go get more. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it takes forgiveness and it 
pieces it up or it uh, cuts it up into pieces so you get some forgiveness you know when you get baptized you get some forgiveness then uh first confirmation or first communion you get some forgiveness through uh being confirmed you get some forgiveness and then don't forget to go every week to get more forgiveness but now, in the sacrament. But now this is this is very subtle because we do teach we lutherans teach that god is lavish and rich in his grace and he does forgive us through these means of absolution and baptism and communion and uh, god is continually forgiving us uh but i think the problem more is this direction of the arrows as i call it whenever i teach uh, catechism i always put on the board this this difference between sacrament and sacrifice that the big thing in the lord's supper is the sacrament god coming down to us with his gifts uh we do not offer up a sacrifice to god that atones for our sins We'd, right. we'd never make an atoning sacrifice. Now, in the context, we offer up what are called Eucharistic sacrifices of our praise and worship and thanksgiving, uh, the Eucharist, right? Um, but the only atoning sacrifice ever was made by Jesus on the cross. And, and those gifts that we talk about, like in a Lutheran service, you know, um, they're received by faith. Yes. They're not earned by our, our Or just by or being, going through the motions, through the this motions. ex opera operato, right. uh, which Melanchthon argued against in the Apology. It's not just by the mechanical doing of it, uh, where faith is excluded. It's trusting in God's promises. Ian, I think we're coming up on the break here, aren't we? Let's do that right now, and then we'll get actually into some of the paragraphs here on the Mass. You're listening to Concord Matters on KFUO. This is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology. We are Worldwide KFUO. How is the season of Lent like a Christian funeral? We'll find out Tuesday on Issues Etc. from Pastor Matt Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. We'll also discuss media coverage of the movie Unplanned with Terry Mattingly, and we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Jesus healing a paralyzed man in Mark chapter 2. 
Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Words deeply connected with the Statue of Liberty from Emma Lazarus' poem, The New Colossus. And did you know, April 17th is celebrated as a day in 1907 when more immigrants were processed through Ellis Island than any other day in its history, 11,747 people. As early as the 1880s, Lazarus was speaking out against anti-Semitism in Europe, advocating for Jewish refugees coming to the United States, with many of her most passionate poems inspired by the Hebrew Bible. In the Banner of the Jew, she writes, With Moses' law and David's lyre, your ancient strength remains unbent. Let but an Ezra rise anew to lift the banner of the Jew. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Back on KFUO with the Concord Matters program. I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen. Uh, two other pastors here in the studio with me today Pastor Mark Sell of Our Savior Fenton and Pastor Steve Reardon of St. Paul's in Wildwood. Missouri. Greetings and salutations. Yes, and felicitations and salivations and all that. <laughs> uh, salvation, actually. Um, so we're in uh, the Schmall Called Articles. The second part, Article 2, the Mass, and now, finally, after half the program, we're actually going to read some of the new uh, article today. And uh, we'll get right into it with paragraph 1. Luther writes, The Mass in the papacy has to be the greatest and most horrible abomination, since it directly and powerfully conflicts with this chief article. Above and before all other popish idolatries, the Mass has been the chief and most false. For this sacrifice or work of the Mass is thought to free people from sins, both in this life and also in purgatory. It does so even when offered by a wicked scoundrel. Yet only the Lamb of God can and will do this. As said above, nothing of this article is to be surrendered or conceded because the first article does not allow it. Pastor Reardon I wish Luther would sometimes just tell us what he really thinks. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, he really comes out of the chute. I mean, I mean, this is this is hard hitting. You know, he is, he is attacking that which is most valuable to the Roman Catholic Church, and that is the whole practice of the Mass. Yeah, and um, how does he connect this back to the chief article, Pastor Sell? Well, I think when <clears throat> it's because it, it gets. In the Roman Catholic Church, it gets turned into a work that they do, mm-hmm. as opposed to work that God does. Yeah, and so that turns it completely upside down, and so that now the mass uh, going to the Lord's Supper, because uh, on one hand we would say, well, you know, it's not wrong to say that forgiveness of sins and eternal life is given in the Lord's Supper because it is. But it's in the but, Roman concept and practice exactly, of it, exactly as a sacrifice that we make. Exactly. So when so when the burden becomes man's burden to do this sacrifice, uh, then it just becomes a law that just beats people up. And this is why you see in in practice you you see people just completely burdened by this 
turning the sac- uh, the sacrament of the altar into a law because it's what drives people to go to the mass every day because they think they are building up more and more forgiveness for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like the wisdom of start saving right when you get out of college. Yeah. You know, keep saving because you're going to need this money later. Well, it's like keep building up that forgiveness because you're going to need this forgiveness yeah. later because you might end up in purgatory and you could use some of it there. And Luther says this conflicts with the chief article because only the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, can right. put us right with God. Right. It is what we said before the break. Either what Jesus did on the cross was 100% or it's nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't even matter if you say, you know, if you just do mathematics here. If we say that Jesus accomplished 99%, you know, the fact that that 1% is still out there and that you have to do it, it means that it was not accomplished. Right. And now it is up to and you. And you are the deciding factor then. And you become the deciding Jesus factor. Jesus did his part, now it's up to you. Exactly. The, the words from the cross become, it is almost finished. It is almost finished. Right, exactly. Very good. All right, paragraphs two through five. I want to read these and then get your take on that. If there were reasonable papists, I wonder if that's a contrary to fact condition there. (laughs) If there were reasonable papists, we might speak moderately and in a friendly, friendly way like this. First, why do they so rigidly uphold the mass? It is just a purely human invention and has not been commanded by God. Every human invention we may safely discard, as Christ declares. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Second, the Mass is unnecessary and can be omitted without sin and danger. Third, the sacrament can be received in a better and more blessed way, indeed the only blessed way, according to Christ's institution. Why, then, do they drive the world to woe and misery for something fictitious and unnecessary when it can be had in a different, more blessed way? One should publicly preach the following to the people. A. The Mass, as a human invention, can be left out without sin. B. No one will be condemned who does not observe it. C. They can be saved in a better way without the Mass. I wager that the Mass will then collapse of itself not only among the crude common people, but also among all pious, Christian, reasonable, God-fearing hearts. This would happen all the more when people hear that the Mass is dangerous, fabricated, and invented without God's will and word. So, I would, I, is the Mass a yeah. purely human invention, Pastor Sell? Well, I was just going to say, that was one of the things we really need to be very clear about. Sure. Because when we do talk about the Mass, we are not talking about the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Thank you for saying that. And that's huge because... That it, is not a human invention. That Exactly, exactly. So we always need to keep in mind that Luther is talking about the theological event that the Roman Catholic Church invented called the Mass, yeah, and all the works righteousness that it poured into the Mass. With the accretions of uh, our sacrifice, uh, like barnacles encrusted on the ship. Yeah, exactly. And, and so by keeping that in mind, it helps us to remember how important the Lord's Supper really is for the Christian. When that cannot be omitted. Out, exactly. Yeah. When it's totally pouring out it's a you know it's turning on the fire hydrant of forgiveness it just it just gushes out like the blood and water from christ's side it's (laughs) it just gushes and and there's no limits to the forgiveness of sins there we're not going to just 
pour out the baptismal waters to forgive you enough just for a certain period of time in your life. Mm-hmm. No, it just it just gushes and never ends and it and that rush of water is what you ride to life everlasting. Yeah. And so the forgiveness just keeps pouring out, whether it's baptism or the Lord's Supper. So when reading this, we always need to be careful and emphasize this is the thing that the Roman Catholic Church invented called the Mass, which is not the same thing as the Lord's Supper. Right. And when Luther says, you know, in the text that you know, when it can be received in a more blessed way, that is what he's referring to. Yeah, what is that blessed way, the better way? The, the better way would be to receive it for the gift that it was meant to be, you know, that, that it is good. given, and receive it by by faith, you know, and the forgiveness of sins that Christ tells us when he instituted the Lord's Supper. Given and shed for you for the forgiveness, forgiveness of, of sins. sins. Yeah, very good. All right, let's go on. Paragraph 6. Fourth, the Mass should be abandoned because so many unspeakable abuses have arisen in the whole world from the buying and selling of Masses. Even if the Mass in itself had something advantageous and good, it should be abolished for no other reason than to prevent abuses. How much more should we abandon it since it is also completely unnecessary, useless, and dangerous? And since we have everything by a more necessary, profitable, and certain way without the Mass. What's this business about the, literally business, about the buying and selling of Masses? What's that about? Well, from now until Easter, you get 50% off <laughs> every wait, Mass. That's not all. <laughs> that's right. And if you, that's right. If you What's show that buying and cloth, selling oh, of Masses? Religion, sorry. What's yeah, that? Well, that's, that's a, it, it ties in exactly to what we were talking about earlier, that... If the mass becomes something that you can do to get more forgiveness, and and it also works itself out that you could um, pay for a mass for a relative who's died, who's, okay. who's already thinking that they're in purgatory, is that it becomes a business exchange that yeah. you buy so many masses. Pastor Reardon, I know you have a Roman Catholic background. Does that still go on today? It does still go on today. I mean, and I, I remember actually growing up, you know, although... Growing up was half a century ago now. But anyway, um, but I remember growing up and my mom giving me money to drop off, you know, to pay for masses for dead relatives and things like that. And so it still continues to go on today. Yes. You know, and, and whether or not people realize it, but every priest in every parish says a mass every morning, whether there are people there or not. That'll come up later in, in the Schmalkald articles about these private masses. Right, right. But for right now, we're talking about this was a moneymaker. Right. And, and people were thinking, and I, I, I remember hearing about this, someone who had a relative die, and then uh, someone said, I, I just purchased a mass for a priest to say for your dead uh, relative here mm-hmm. at this Roman Catholic Church. Right. So that's never been reformed. It's a great moneymaker, though. Yeah. Paragraph 7. Fifth. The Mass is and can be nothing more than a human work, as church law and all the books declare, even when it is performed by wicked scoundrels. The attempt is to reconcile oneself and others to God, and to merit and deserve the forgiveness of sins and grace by the Mass. This is how the Mass is held at its very best. Otherwise, what purpose would it serve? This is why it must and should be condemned and rejected. For the Mass directly conflicts with the chief article, which says that it is not someone uh, paid to perform the Mass, whether wicked or godly, who takes away our sins with his work, but the Lamb of God, uh, the Son of God. We've already touched on that, uh, that it conflicts with the chief article about justification by Christ. 
Now, paragraphs 8 and 9 about the private masses. If anyone says that he wants to administer the sacrament to himself as an act of devotion, he cannot be serious. If he sincerely wishes to commune, the surest and best way for him is in the sacrament administered to Christ's institution. To administer communion to oneself is a human notion. It is uncertain, unnecessary, even prohibited. He does not know what he is doing because without God's word, he follows a false human opinion and invention. It is not right, even if otherwise done properly, to use the sacrament that belongs to the community of the church for one's own private devotion. It is wrong to toy with the sacrament without God's word and apart from the community of the church. So this is touching on this matter of private masses. Uh, I think one of you was saying about uh, the priest by himself who was saying something like yeah, that. Yeah, I saw that yeah, growing up. I mean, that was the way that it was. I mean, whether there is people there or not, you know, they still continue to say it, you know, because so many masses, you know, if you're saying it, you know, if it's been purchased for someone, you know, for a dead relative, and, and they used to lump them all together. I mean, it would be for multiple dead relatives, you know, but the it was all part of the buying people forgiveness. Or even apart from the money, just... The priest, by doing this, is not earning points for other people or dead relatives. Right. And, and then when we get into this, you can see why uh, the beginning of Article 2, at first you think, wow, that's pretty harsh. Settle down. But when you realize how it has flipped uh, gospel and turned it into law and taken law and tried to turn it into gospel, when you see that, it becomes absolutely destructive. Um, the horrible abomination that Luther talks about, because it it, it so perverts the gifts of God uh, that it, it becomes the exact opposite of what people so desperately need, which is forgiveness and mercy and grace and strength mm-hmm. to be able to persevere. Yeah. Instead, it becomes a tool more, uh, you know, here, dig a hole six feet down. Okay, now you got to do two more feet down. Now you got to do 10 more feet down. Mm-hmm. That becomes the life of the Christian having to do another mass, now another mm-hmm. mass, now mm-hmm. another mass and you know pay for it by the way mm-hmm. so it 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 you can see why luther um and why the reformers re- were so harsh about this because they took such a beautiful wonderful comforting gift of the unity of the body of christ the the unity of the saints in heaven and on earth and this gushing of forgiveness and the strength that it gives to us and the unity uh that it builds around the altar and then turn it into basically uh, a labor force. Yeah. And making it a private event. Instead of the corporate That's exactly for, right. event for the church, for the body of Christ. Right, right. It is not to be a private event. It is meant for right. the, 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 the people, the congregation, you know, and Christians to come together and to eat this meal yeah. you know, that, that the Lord is serving to us. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why the, the tradition in the Missouri Synod is even when you go and have... Um, pastors' conferences, teachers' mm-hmm. conferences, those kinds of things. Even at the circuit level, you always want to be careful to be sure it just doesn't become a closed circuit of pastors celebrating communion on their own because they get a little bit more than the rest of the people do. But understand, no, it is it is offered by this congregation, and it's open to the congregation, and yeah. you announce it before. If We hosted the know. Winkle in our circuit uh, last week, and I always, whenever I hosted it for our circuit pastors, I always say, anyone in the congregation is welcome to come to this. Yeah, now, you can't one, lose that connection right. to the body of Christ. One right. other thing I want to make clear here, where he talks about to minister communion to oneself is uh, uh, prohibited. This is not talking about 
for example, what I do at St. Matthew Bonterre, when I administer the sacrament on Sunday morning to the congregation, <clears throat> I, as the pastor, first commune myself. But that's not what this is referring to. This is not. Uh, this is talking about just the priest by himself, apart from the congregation. Right. That's what Luther's condemning. There's nothing wrong with your pastor uh, when he doesn't have another pastor in the chancel with him. Uh, I, I, I think of it as Pastor Henriksen communing sinner Charlie, uh, and then I commune the whole congregation. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you've seen that, practice that. I know other congregations where uh, an elected male elder communes the pastor. That's not evil or anything like that, or if, if there are two pastors or a seminary field worker. But uh, it's, this is not referring to a pastor communing himself at the altar in the context of the Sunday morning service. Right, right. Again, it's the idea of doing it in private. Right. Well, and at the time of Luther, too, when all this was going on, I mean, it, it was kind of like a badge of honor, how many masses you could say in a day. Yeah, yeah. You know, as you tick through them, you know, and, and, and spring more souls from purgatory, I suppose. Yeah. Let's go on. Now, this tells us how strongly Luther feels about this. Listen to paragraph 10. This article about the mass would completely preoccupy the council. He's talking about if there is to be a council, it would take up the whole thing. Even if they could concede all the other articles, they could not concede this. Cardinal Campigius said at Augsburg that he would rather be torn to pieces than give up the Mass. So, by God's help, I too would rather be burned to ashes than allow someone paid to perform a Mass, whether he is good or bad, to be made equal to Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior, or to be exalted above him. In this, we remain eternally separated and opposed to one another. They know well that when the mass falls, the papacy lies in ruins. Before they will let this happen, they will, if they can, put us all to death. And this is not just idle talk by Luther. A um, hundred years earlier, Jan Hus was burned to ashes. So, but Luther had some protections, but that that was a very real possibility. Well, but there was a, there was a there is a hit that was put out on Luther. I mean, the the Pope issued a, a papal bull, you know, basically saying that if anybody kills Luther, they're doing a good thing. Yeah, and he and he says that um, this is really you know if you take away the mass, the whole papacy would fall apart because that's that's kind of well, at the and, heart of and it. And it's because <clears throat> I mean, there's the there's two ways to look at that. It's because it's the financial foundation. Of the church is how they paid to get things done. Uh, is you're charging to get enough forgiveness so you get to heaven eventually. So that's the one side of it. The other side of it is how can you make people come to church if you can't come to church to get the mass? So it it so so it, there's the paying for forgiveness part of it, and then there's the reality that that's how you keep getting people to come to church. Yeah, you and also I mean? if you and, took and away the every, sacrifice part of the mass. It would it'd be like the dominoes would start to fall. Well, then what about penance? What about indulgences? And if it's Relics? free, then they're just going to yeah, take yeah, advantage yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah, you know? right. I mean, we, we hear this all the time today still, that if, you, if forgiveness is as free as you say it is, why would anybody want to do something for the church anymore? Hmm. You know, it becomes that kind of legalism that creeps in, even when you're not looking at the Mass wrongly. Mm -hmm. uh, people still think there's got to be some kind of connection that's not 
let forgiveness be that free because now we got to somehow turn this into um, since you've just gotten some forgiveness, uh, hey, we need some things done around the church. Now, closely related to the sacrifice of the Mass and mass, private Masses being said for dead relatives is the Roman teaching on purgatory, which Luther gets into next in this next section. Let's see if we can look at paragraphs 11 through 15 and then just briefly Talk about this matter of purgatory, all right? By the way, just a quick thing. That that was one of the things, that was one of the parallels between the Mormon church and the uh, Roman Catholic church. When you, you know, having been in Utah for eight years, seven years, whatever it was, you realize Mormons just took a bunch of pieces of things that they liked from other churches, yeah. Joseph Smith and Brigham Young did, and they polished them up. And this was one that they took um, from the Roman Catholic church uh, because you then are doing, performing the sacramental rites of the Mormon church so that you could get people out of the other kingdoms in the okay. post world. And the, it's, it's amazing how that parallels that kind of thinking with works righteousness. All right, let's look at uh, Luther's take here on purgatory. And I'm going to see if I can get all the way from 11 through 15. And then we'll just... Is that a nice way to tell me to shut up? <laughs> I'm looking oh, oh, at the oh, clock oh. here, brother. <laughs> I'm looking at the clock. Just kidding. Just I mean, in, yes, it was, but I in addition to all this, this yeah. dragon's tail, that is the mass, has begotten many vermin, <laughs> that's typical Lutherish, uh, and a multitude of idolatries. First, purgatory. They carried their trade into purgatory by selling masses for the souls of the dead. They started vigils, weekly, monthly, and yearly celebrations of funeral anniversaries, special services for the common week and all souls day and soul baths. So the Mass is used almost solely for the dead, although Christ has instituted the sacraments solely for the living. Therefore, purgatory, along with every service, rite, and commerce connected with it, should be regarded as nothing more than the devil's ghost, for it conflicts with the chief article. Only Christ and not human works are to help souls. Besides, God has commanded or assigned us nothing about the dead. Therefore, all this may be safely left out, even if it were not error and idolatry. The papists quote Augustine and some of the church fathers who are said to have written about purgatory. They think we do not understand why they spoke as they did. St. Augustine does not write that there is a purgatory. Nor does he have evidence from Scripture as a basis. Rather, he leaves it in doubt whether purgatory exists. He does say that his mother asked to be remembered at the altar or sacrament. This is nothing but human devotion, indeed, of individuals, and does not establish an article of faith, which is God's privilege alone. Our papists, though, cite such human opinions so people will believe in their horrible, blasphemous, and cursed traffic in masses for souls in purgatory. But they will never prove these things from Augustine. Once they have abolished the traffic in masses for purgatory, which Augustine never dreamed of, then we can discuss whether to accept what Augustine said beyond Scripture and whether the dead should be remembered at the Eucharist. It will not do to frame articles of faith from the works or words of the Holy Fathers. Otherwise, their kind of food, clothing, houses, and such would have to become an article of faith, as was done with relics. This, The true rule is this. God's word shall establish articles of faith, and no one else, not even an angel, can do so. 
Pastor Reardon, did you hear about purgatory when you were in the Roman Catholic Church? Yep, a lot. Tell us, tell us what you. Oh, really? What, what yeah. was your experience? Um, well, purgatory is that it's that Roman Catholic doctrine, and kind of, uh, I, I think, became a doctrine of the Church sometime around the 11th or 12th century, um, and it is the belief that the temporal consequences of your sin require something more in terms of payment. And in other so, words, you might be saved eternally, but first you've got to spend a little time out to be purged, thus right, purgatory. Right, for the temporal consequences of your sin. And so purgatory was that place that when you die, that's where your soul goes to spend literally millions of years, you know, in order to be purged, you know, of the, the consequences of your sin so that you can finally be purified through purgatory and then enter into heaven. Uh, and the, this bad thing, I mean, if you've ever read any teachings, it, I, I've read some Roman Catholic books on purgatory. Really, the only difference between purgatory and hell is that purgatory has an exit. Mm. You know, there, there's a chance to get mm. out. Um, and, and this is where the masses come into play. You know, you would buy a What's mass. the connection between the mass then and time in purgatory? Well, you could have a mass said for... A dead relative who you would believe it would be in purgatory, you know, and, and therefore that helps gain them credit. It buys years off, so to speak, of their time in purgatory. Um, and this gets into a whole thing of the treasury of merits, which I don't know that we have time to get into no, right now. The, the saints, some had some extra bonus points. Right. Well, some had some extra bonus points. And then the, the Pope gets to dispense from the treasury mm -hmm. of merits, you know, um, and, and that's the, the whole idea. Uh, that, that the mass will help spring your dead relatives from purgatory. Now, Pastor Sell, what is the basis in Scripture for the doctrine of purgatory? Well, purgatory is all over the place in Scripture. Is it? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're reading from the reverse standard version. <laughs> it felt good just to set you up. Um, no, there is no There's basis, no basis for, it for it in Scripture it. anywhere. Anywhere. It is purely a, a man-made teaching. And not even in St. Augustine. And that, Luther was an Augustinian monk. He knew Augustine inside out. Right. And, and his point, it, it doesn't matter what human says. Even some of the good church fathers, if they could they could make a mistake here or there. Right, right. You don't you don't you don't base the base the doctrines of the church based upon the opinion of human beings. Only what establishes articles of faith. It is the Bible that the scriptures. The Holy Scriptures you know, the Holy inspired scriptures. by God. Right, exactly. And uh, that, that this, and and furthermore, the doctrine of purgatory disagrees with the analogy of faith, the regula fidei, uh, because it contradicts the chief article. And let's, in our remaining minute, as we're in Holy Week, let's get back to the positive here. Pastor Sell, tell us how we're going to experience the chief article of the Christian faith this Holy Week. Oh, beautiful. Well, for Maundy Thursday, it starts. Well, of course, the preaching and the teaching that will take place in the service itself. And then you participate in the very resurrected body and blood of Christ as the pure concept of justification is handed out right there, where the forgiveness of sins then flows and your faith receives all the work of Christ by participating in the Lord's Supper. It's not going to be come this Thursday so you could get X number of points uh, and, and advance down the timeline of eventually getting to heaven. No, it is a, a complete handing out of God's grace and forgiveness. It is the, the fulfillment. It is the New Testament 
uh, in for practice. For the forgiveness of sins. Exactly. And then Pastor Reardon, just briefly, take us to Good Friday and Easter Day. What's going on there? Good Friday, we have the uh, all-availing sacrifice of Christ on the cross, where we remember that, um, and rejoicing with his resurrection on Sunday morning, where which we see we the proof. in which, faith and, and holy baptism. And we see the proof of sins forgiven. Very good. This is a, a good discussion today. Have a blessed Holy Week. Get to church. Find one where you can receive the chief article of the Christian faith.